The following audio is from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. More information about Axe is available at axechurchleander.com. So we are smack dab in the middle of a series that we've been going through this summer called Accidental Pharisees. And uh, the idea of this, this series is that uh, out of perhaps a very good intention to follow God, a good intention to do what he's called us to, uh, we actually end up living a life that is, is contrary to the gospel. We actually end up living lives that the enemies of, of Jesus ended up living when he was here on this earth. And so we're trying to figure out, all right, what are those things and, and how can we avoid them as we seek to follow Jesus uh, with our whole lives? And so um, a couple weeks ago, we started out by just looking at what a Pharisee is and, and what that was in the, the biblical context and what it looks like for us to do that now. And then we looked at pride, and last week we had a sending weekend, and next week we'll be um, looking at legalism. Uh, this week, though, we're looking at exclusivity. Exclusivity. How does exclusivity make us accidental Pharisees? And, uh, and I was reminded kind of, of of how exclusivity works earlier this week. Uh, here's what I mean. Um, so I recently moved, and we, we have some new neighbors, and uh, I got a, a text from one of my new neighbors, and she asked me, she said, hey Gabe, can you uh, translate the, the Hebrew word for uh, to hold, which is tafas, would you translate that for me? I want to get a tattoo of it. And uh, that may sound weird to you, uh, but I, won't lie. I get asked to do that like all the time. Like, it's the weirdest, it's like the only thing my degree is good for. And, and so, um, like, I'm probably responsible for, for 20 tattoos and, and even a couple corrections. You know, like, I'll be, it says God is love in Greek. No, it doesn't. You know, I'm sorry, the internet lied. Uh, and, uh, and so... So, so this happens, and now people ask me to do this because that, that's what I studied in undergrad. I studied Greek and Hebrew, and then I, I had to pass a, a competency exam in order to get into seminary, and then for my four years of seminary, all we did was work the scripture in the, the original languages, and so I've, I've got a lot of experience around dead languages, which is super, super practical if you want a tattoo in a dead language. And, uh, and so anyway, so I did that, and I got to tell you, like, I'm happy to be done with all of that. Uh, it was really hard. I just, my brain doesn't work that way. It was really hard for me. I spent a lot of long nights. I'd just walk around with, with stacks of vocabulary cards, and I'd, I'd uh, memorize chart after chart of, of different verb conjugations. And so I'm just, like, happy to have that done. Uh, but that's the, the traditional path that our church body, the church we're a part of, that's the traditional path they have towards uh, making pastors, is, is you do that. That's the pastor factory, right? And so... That's what exists. Uh, but recently, they've actually opened up an alternative route. And, uh, and this route, you can, uh, you can take courses online. Uh, you don't have to do the languages. You don't have to, to struggle through those things. You take courses online. You can do it while you're working at a church or while you're working at a regular job. And, uh, and I think it's great. I think it's great. There's no prescribed way to, to make a pastor in the scriptures. So however we can do it, we need more of them. And so, you know, let's go crazy. However we can get guys through, let's do it. But I'm not the only one who, uh, who thinks about these things. I'm, not, and I'm, not a, I'm alone kind of in liking them. Maybe not alone like them, but there's other guys who don't like them. And I was at a, a pastor's conference, which, uh, wild time, if you want to go to one of those. Sometimes they drink two beers at night. So, um, <laughs> gets crazy. And uh, anyways, but we're, I, was, I was meeting with a, a group of pastors, and we're talking. And one guy said, and we're talking about this, this new way of creating pastors. And this one guy stands up, and he says, you know what? I don't like it. I don't like it at all. I don't like it at all, because uh, if those guys want to be pastors like us, if they want to do what we do, then they have to go through what we went through. They need to suffer the way we suffered. True story. And so the point is, they want to be like us, they want to be in the club, well then here's the bar, and they need to get over it. And that's exclusivity. 
That's exclusivity. And this doesn't just happen with grumpy pastors in the Midwest. Uh, It's in every profession, right? From hairdressers to accountants to universities to software developers. Across the board, from every sphere you can think of, if people want to be a part of who we are and what we do, they got to meet the standards. they got to meet the expectations. they got to qualify to be a part of this, these exclusive standards. Now, it's not necessarily a bad thing in the professional world. In fact, it's, it's probably good more often than not. The trouble is when this sort of exclusivity bleeds over into the spiritual life. When this sort of exclusivity bleeds over into the life of the church. See, when that happens, it's trouble. When we insist that people need to be at this spiritual level, they got to be up here, otherwise they're not really following Jesus, otherwise they're not really one of us, unless you know this, or you read this, or you've experienced this, or you've given this much, or you've done this much, or you've felt this, whatever it is, unless you've done that, whatever your this is, then you're not a real Christian. That's an issue. That's when we become accidental Pharisees. Whenever we turn the church into an exclusive group, that you have to qualify for, we become accidental Pharisees. Here's the thing. As I was, I was prepping this message, I don't think like, this is a huge issue for our church yet. Like, I think we all sort of have our tendencies towards exclusivity, and that's, that's probably true. Uh, but, but the reality is, I, I don't see us trying to thin the herd here, right? In, in fact, one of our, our stated goals as a church is to be a community that embraces multiple cultures and non-believers. And so from the get-go, we've said, we want to be a people with open arms towards those who aren't like us. And so I don't want to spend a lot of time just like railing against exclusivity. What I'd like to do is talk about what it looks like to build a culture of inclusivity. What does it mean for us to to be a culture of inclusivity? Uh, And what does it mean to build a culture that way? One of the uh, great leadership gurus, Peter Drucker, uh, says, culture eats strategy for breakfast. Culture eats strategy for breakfast, and I love that quote, where we can, we can have the stated goals, we can have what we want to do, but if our culture as a people, as a community, uh, isn't there, man, we're not going to get the job done. And so I want to say, what does it look like for us to build a culture of inclusivity in our church? And a great text for us to see how that works is our text for today, um, that the Apostle Paul's writing this letter, and he's writing it to a church uh, that's very similar to ours. It's a church in a city called Thessalonica, and it's a new church. They just got started, right? They're trying to figure out which way is up. And, uh, and they're in a, a booming city, uh, just like where we're at in the Austin area here. And so uh, Paul writes to me and says, hey, you want to be a church that's inclusive? You want to be a church that's, that's welcoming to people? Here's what you got to do. This is what it looks like. And he sort of lays out four things for us in our text for today, and we're going to go through those. Four things are to love one another, include the outsider, honor your leaders, and help the struggling. Love one another, include the outsider, honor your leaders, help the struggling. And so let's get going with that. Uh, Love one another. First of all, look with me at 1 Thessalonians 4, 9 through 10. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. All right, and so Paul's writing this letter, and he says, concerning brotherly love, and uh, the Greek word for brotherly love is, is Philadelphia. That's the, the exact word there, Philadelphia. Uh, and so Cowboys fans, calm down, all right? This has nothing to do with the Eagles. 
or cream cheese or cheese steaks, all right? It's, uh, it's brotherly love, and it was a, a term in Greek literature that was used exclusively for the nuclear, nuclear family. That the only time this word is used is it's talking about nuclear family relationships between uh, husband and wife and, and kids and parents and, 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 uh, and how all that works. It was just for the nuclear family. And so what Paul says here is pretty radical. This is the, the first time in anything ever written in Greek, he says to the church in Thessalonica, and he says to us, you're a family. He says the church is a family. You're supposed to treat each other like family. He says, look to your left. Look to your right. That's your brother. Let's do that. Look to your left. Okay, look to your right. All right, that's your brother. That's your sister. Paul says that the church is a family that because of what Jesus has done, he's, he's come and he, he died on the cross. And not only did he, he die just for you, but he died for, for y'all. And, and he brought us all together. He's made us one as a family. It's a whole different sort of community that's been birthed because of what God has done. God has made a new family that the church is a family now. And then he goes on, he says, so this huge category, this reality that we're to love each other as the family of God, uh, he says, I know y'all get that. And he says, I know y'all get it because God told you to. It's no surprise. And you guys have been doing it. He says, in particular, uh, you've shown love to the folks in Macedonia. So that's great. He says, you get the concept. You understand how this works. But then he says, end of verse 10, what does he say? But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. He says, you get the concept, but I want you to do it more and more. He says, you've been, you've been rocking it at JV, but we're going to take it up to varsity now. Let's bring it to the next level of what it looks like to love your brothers and sisters in Christ. And so you expect this big thing. You really tease it up. It's like, this is how you're going to love your brothers and sisters in Christ. This is the big thing to do. And then we get to verse 11, and this is what he says. This is how you love your brothers and sisters in Christ. Aspire to live quietly, to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands as we instructed you. That's it. So, so how are you supposed to love your brothers and sisters in Christ? Live quietly, mind your own affairs, and work with your hands. In other words, shut your mouth, mind your business, get a job. Right? That sounds like a conversation I had with my older brother when I was in high school, not, not a, a recipe for building an, an inclusive community. But that's what Paul says. He's laying out here a principle. And here's the principle. The principle is this, that the heart of any Christian community that wants to avoid the traps of exclusivity, at the heart of that is a group of people who are aiming at being productive and not destructive. The way you love your brothers and sisters in Christ is to aim towards productive behavior and not disruptive behavior. At the center of a community built for inclusion is a group of people who, out of love for one another, aim to be productive and not disruptive. Think about it. When each person, if we were each to aim towards production towards the other person and, and not disruption... Can you imagine what that would look like? If we were to say, I'm here to bless, I'm here to serve, I'm here to give life to this, as opposed to I'm here to sit back and rest on my laurels. You see how that builds an inclusive community, that builds a group of people that are um, caring for one another, loving one another. And that's why I'm not really in a rush for our church to get a building, right? Because uh, something magical happens when chairs are set up. Right? There's like this, this beautiful bonding that happens as, as we set up chairs. And so if you've been worshiping with us for a while and you're thinking like, man, I don't know. I don't know if I really feel included. I don't know if I really feel connected to this church. I'm kind of concerned. I have a plan for you. 
show up at 8.30 next week, Sunday morning, you will have a whole new group of friends, right? There's just this magical bond that happens when you serve together, when you aim towards production. An inclusive community is birthed when we each aim towards production instead of disruption. Secondly, so we, uh, we love one another as we aim towards production instead of disruption. Secondly, we include the outsider. And how do we include the outsider? We do it the same way we love one another. Except this time we do it in the public sphere. So instead of aiming towards production instead of disruption inside the church, we aim towards production instead of disruption outside the church in society. Look with me at verse 12 in our text. It says this, So that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. And so bringing life and value and energy wherever God has placed you in society, wherever that is, that's a way of being inclusive of other people. That wherever God's placed you, as you, you bring production and life and value, that's a way of being inclusive of people. And you say, well, how does that work? Let me explain it like this. Uh, as many of you know, I play for uh, the greatest men's rec league soccer team in Leander, uh, the Leander Thals. And uh, well, I love the guys that I get to play with, and, and we have a captain. And, uh, and I love him, uh, but no one on our team listens to him. And, and we all kind of love him, but none of us listen to him. He's kind of like... He's like that weird uncle that you love, you know, where it's like, oh, he said that again. Isn't that cute? You know, I mean, you just sort of deal with him that way. Anyways, and, and the reason why we don't listen to him is, is for several reasons. Number one, uh, he's not very good at soccer. Uh, number two, he doesn't think through the game very well. Like, he's just not that bright tactically. Uh, he's a very bright man, but just not tactically with soccer. And, and thirdly, uh, he just doesn't have the leadership chops. Like, the, the way it works for us is uh, we're usually down at halftime. And, um, and so, uh, so at halftime, we, we get together, and he circles us up, and he just cusses at us for 10 minutes. Like, that's, that's kind of his motivational thing. Is he just, is, no one listens to that, right? Like, I'm not motivated by that. And so then we just go back and, and get our butts kicked. And so uh, that's just how it works. No one listens to him, and, and we go back and lose. Uh, but one week, we were short a couple players, and, uh, and we had this kid that, that was there, and he played with us. He's 17 years old. 17-year-old kid played with us, and he was incredible. Like, I've never seen anything like that. And we came to find out, like, partway through the first half that I was like, dude, what it, like, why are you so good? He's like, oh, well, I'm going to go try out for a couple clubs in Europe this summer. I was like, okay. And then he's like, and then he's like, yeah, and I train for eight hours a day. Like, he gets up at five in the morning, trains for three hours, goes to school, gets done, trains for five more hours. Like, just crazy, crazy good. Anyway, super good. But then halftime rolls around, and uh, he just very gently comes up, and we're, of course, losing, and he, he says, uh, Hey guys, uh, do you think it'd be all right? I just I have a couple suggestions that I think maybe could could help us out. Would would that be all right? And uh, you should have seen it. Like we have a group of guys aged 25 to 55, and we all just turn into these like little kindergartners sitting at the feet of our teacher. We're like, yes, teach us whatever you say. You know, we're there, and we just listen to him. I've never seen us listen so good. It was crazy. Now, why did we do this? Why did that happen? Because even though this kid was young. He could play, he could think, and even though he was light years better than our best players, he came humble and gentle in his approach. See, Paul tells this church in Thessalonica, he tells us, he says, hey, you want to be inclusive of outsiders? You want those who don't know Jesus to be connected to the family of God? He says, mind your own business and do your job well. In other words, wherever God has placed you, be a source of life and energy and blessing. 
at your job, in the classroom, in your family, in the community at large, in your neighborhood. He says, be a productive person. That's a way to be inclusive. Wherever God has placed you, be a person who's giving energy, not one who's taking it away. And so I'd encourage that to each of you. As you think about wherever God has placed you, when you show up, are people blessed by your presence? Or do they feel like the life got sucked out of the room? When you show up, are people blessed by your presence? Are you adding to what needs to be done? Or are you taking energy away? Because when you're the sort of person who's bringing something to the table, Paul says those outside the faith, they take notice. They take notice. They're attracted to it. They feel included in something. And it just makes sense, right? I mean, you just think about it. Like if you're cutting corners, dragging people down and are just sort of a drain on everyone around you and then say, by the way, I love Jesus. You should come to my church. No one wants to be a part of that. They want to go with you, right? It makes sense. And so an inclusive community, we love one another, we include outsiders, and thirdly, we honor our leaders. Look with me at uh, chapter 5, verses 12 through 13. Paul says this, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. Now this text may seem like I'm just trying to like, you know, get y'all to respect me and inflate my ego as if I need that. Um, but, but this text is not really talking about pastors. It's really not. Uh, generally in, in Pauline literature, whenever he talks about pastors, he uses the actual title. And he'll say elders or overseers or pastors. Uh, and he doesn't do that here. So he's talking about a, a different sort of leader at a church. You say, all right, well, well who's he talking about? Well, he tells us. He says, those who labor among you and are over you. And so Paul is saying, anyone who's, who's serving among you in any sort of leadership capacity, he says, should be esteemed very highly in love. He says, anyone who's, who's serving among you in any sort of leadership capacity should be esteemed highly in love. And you say, all right, well, what does that mean? How does that play itself out? Uh, well, does anyone have a kid in Kids Quest right now? All right. After worship, find out whoever is leading Kids Quest today and say, thank you for doing that. Thanks for telling my kid about Jesus. And we got a kid in nursery right now. Find out whoever's working there today. Happens to be a, a beautiful young woman. Um, and uh, married to the handsomest man in Leander. And, she, uh, <laughs> uh, and say thanks for taking care of our little ones while we were in worship. And if you got coffee or a donut today, find out whoever set all that up, who put all the work together to do that and say, hey, thanks for doing that. And whoever welcomed you here, thank God for them for what they did. And we have folks that are doing things left and right, serving this place. And and Paul is telling us here, say thank you to them, honor them, esteem them. It's a gift. And if we want to be an inclusive community, we need to honor our leaders. We need to honor our leaders. A community who fails to appreciate those who lead by serving will never be an inclusive community. Because we would absolutely fall apart because instead of people feeling valued and loved because of their service, they'll feel neglected and isolated and underappreciated. Think about it like this. Uh, We are blessed to have uh, my boy Peter lead us this morning. And a very talented guy and he could be playing just about anywhere. But he plays with us. And I think when we first started, he may not have called Acts his church. But I think if you were to ask him today if Acts was his church, he'd probably say yes. And I'm looking for confirmation. I sure hope so. Okay, excellent. Uh, and, and, uh, and, and why would he do that? It's not because the pay is great. Okay, it's not. Uh, 
It's because people like Jesse and Matt and many of you had said, hey, Peter, thanks for sharing your gifts with us. Hey, Peter, thanks for serving us. Hey, Peter, thanks for leading us. See, we, we honor our leaders and we watch God build an inclusive community. So we love one another, we include the outsider, honor our leaders, and finally we help the struggling. Look with me at verses 14 and 15. It says, And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. And so Paul goes from those who are leading to those who are struggling. And he says there's two kinds of folks who are struggling. Do you see this? He says there's those who are idle and there are those who are faint-hearted. He's got two different ways of helping those who are struggling. So he says those who are idle, you're supposed to admonish them. Admonish them. What does admonish mean? I think the most exact translation of admonish is uh, lovingly kick in the pants is uh, perhaps, perhaps the most exact one. Okay? And he says there's folks in your community who aren't contributing at all. And Paul says, you got to tell them to get going. you got to lovingly kick them in the pants. And some of you, man, that's maybe what you need to hear this morning. That you've been sitting on the sidelines, and God's got work for you to do. That there's people he wants you to reach out to. That there's places he wants you to serve, and you just keep sitting on the sidelines. Consider your pants kicked, right? we got things to do. And I don't just mean about serving in our church. I'm talking about kingdom stuff. That God didn't call you to be his child to occasionally show up to a gym on Sundays for worship, but he called you to be a child to be a part of a community that has the most important mission in the world. He's calling you to step up and play your part in that. Now to the other group who's struggling, Paul calls them the faint-hearted. Faint-hearted. And he says to those, don't admonish them, don't, don't beat them down. He says, encourage them. Encourage them, lift them up. And so if that's you, if you're struggling, you're not part of any kingdom work because right now at this stage in your life, you're in a bad place mentally or, or spiritually or physically or, or whatever it is, or um, maybe you, you're just, you got to change one more diaper and you just can't take it anymore. Um, or, you know, whatever it is, major life stage, transition, that's all right. Know that you're loved and accepted here regardless of where you're at regardless of where you're at. No, this is a place where we want you to feel included. If you're healing from maybe being hurt by the church, we want you to feel loved and embraced and accepted. And if you can, tell someone how to best care for you. And if you don't know how to do that or who to do that for, we have our prayer station in the back. Write it out. We'll find you. We have those powers. Um, let's, let's be a community that loves one another, that loves the struggling that honors our leaders, that's inclusive of the outsider, that helps those who are struggling. Now, if we were to just end here, all right, we made it through the four things, good. If we were to just end here, I'd say, all right, let's go. We fall apart. We fall apart. This, we can't pull it off. We can't be an inclusive community just by trying really hard. We can't be the sort of community that God's called us to be by just saying, all right, all right, Gabe told me to step up, so I'm going to do that, or Gabe told me to do this, so I'm going to do that. It won't work. It won't work. We need, we need power behind it. We need a means uh, to move us forward. And that's why verses 23 and 24 in our text are so important. Look with me. Paul says this. He says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. So Paul shows us where the power for this sort of community comes from. He says it comes from the God of peace who is sanctifying you completely. Say, okay, what does that mean? In other words, he's saying God is at work and God is continually at work on you. God is always at work on you. He doesn't give up. So if you're a leader and you're just exhausted, God is at work in you. He's refining you. He's making you holy. And if you're someone who's maybe outside the Christian faith and and someone, you know, suckered you into being here, uh, we're glad you're here, but know that, that God is at work on you. It's not an accident you're here. That God is is calling you to himself. That God is always working on his people, bringing them closer to him. Or you may be one of those who's struggling right now. And know that God has not given up on you. That he's with you. That he who calls you is faithful. That he will surely do it. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. You say, okay, Gabe, God's at work on us. But like, how do you know that? How do we know that God's actually doing that? And I know this because when we were far off, when we were distant, God came near. At the God who is perfect and holy and transcendent, the God who could be exclusive, the only being in the universe that could choose to write everyone else off and be justified in doing that, chose instead to be inclusive. When he could have moved away, he moved toward. And he sent his son Jesus And we see again and again in the story of Jesus and in the Gospels that those who who people would have thought would have been the furthest from God, those are the exact people that Jesus pursued. Those are the exact people that Jesus sought to include in his love. Those are the exact people that Jesus went to the cross for. See, the truth is, you're those people. We're those people. If we're going to be the sort of inclusive community that Paul talks about, we need to see ourselves as those people. You need to see yourself as the one who could have been excluded, who could have been removed from God, but instead he moved towards you in the person of Jesus Christ and he brought you into his family. That Jesus faced exclusion. He was hated by the world. He was rejected by his father, but he did that so that you could be brought into the family of God forever. See, when that sort of truth sinks in, when the weight of the gospel just crushes into your soul, and it only makes sense that we'd be an inclusive community. It only makes sense that we would want everyone to experience this Jesus who gave everything for us. Please pray with me. Lord God, Thank you for including us in your family. God, you didn't have to, but you chose to. You did it at a great cost. That Jesus would be despised and rejected by men. That we could be embraced by you. That he would cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That we might never be forsaken by you. God, teach us to to recognize the joy of the gospel, the hope that we have because of what you've done for us in Jesus. Help us to be a community that welcomes all people. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thank you for listening to this podcast from Max Church in Leander, Texas. Feel free to share this message with others and stay connected with us at axchurchleander.com.